Well, good morning. Happy, uh, happy Palm Sunday. Next week is Easter. Excited to celebrate that with you all. Um, we have been on a journey, uh, a journey that started back in January and that's lasted uh, 14 weeks. Uh, we've been going through uh, the first 11 chapters of Genesis, and we've been looking at this, um, this crucial section of our Bibles, uh, unoriginally calling it Origins. And today we are wrapping up the series with a, a recap and a reflection. So we're not necessarily covering new content this morning. We've, we've gone through all 11 chapters, but we want to capture what it is that we've learned in this uh, process because it's, it's been a bit of a fire hose, has it not? Um, we've covered a lot of different topics. I'm going to go through most of them uh, briefly. But we want to we capture it. We don't, we don't just want it to wash over us and uh, to, to, to not have it change us. Right. The, the point of this series was not to grow smarter, but to grow more faithful. To understand our faith from the inside out. And what stories have shaped that faith. Stories that we may uh, be aware of and other ones that we may not be aware of. So, uh, so this is the game plan today. Uh, I'm going to start by giving an overview of what we've been learning in this series. Now, I put out on the realm a PDF that was attached to a post on Friday that has an overview of the entire series. Who got that? I see like one or two hands. Okay, if you don't have that, um, you can get it right now on our website. Here's the, the second thing that we're going to do is that we're going to have uh, an open time of reflection on what you all have been learning and processing in the series. What are some ahas, some truths that you want to uh, hold on to going forward? Some questions or things that you're still wondering about. Number three, I'm going I'm to take a couple minutes and give a few uh, reflections and takeaways of my own that, that sort of seems significant that I want to double click on for us as a, as a community that I think might have um, impact for us as we go forward. And then last, we're going we're gonna to go into our uh, time of worship and we're going to respond as we normally do uh, through communion. And uh, Pete is going to, oh no, I'm sorry, David's going to lead us through that when we get there. Okay? Recap, reflection. My reflection, communion. Sound good? Good game plan? All right. Recap. Now, here's the challenging part. I'm going to try to do this in 10 minutes or less. You ready? It's a lot to get through. I think I can do it. I think I can do it. All right. This is what we've talked about. That God has created the universe out of love. Because love is who He is. Full stop. And what God creates when He creates everything that we understand as uh, the world, as the universe, is a temple. It's a temple for His presence and His power to dwell in. This is what creation is. And God orders and shapes this creation by pushing back the darkness. He speaks and hovers over the chaotic waters, and they do what He says. 
He pushes it back in order to make space as a temple for Him to dwell with those that He's created because He's a God of love. You tracking so far? We've talked about the fact that Scripture is not written primarily to tell us when and how this all occurred. That those questions are important to us modern readers, but they're not so important to ancient Hebrews. And this is important to highlight because I've encountered Christians, and maybe you have too, who believe that the only way to be Christian is to to hold to certain answers about how and when the world was made. And the problem is that this creates a faith crisis for other people that feel like they have to choose between faith and science, between spirituality and reality. And the Bible never asks us to make that choice. We believe that the point of Genesis is to tell us what and why, not when and how. We talked about how our original goodness as human beings is more primal than our original sin. And that the image of God is held in both male and female who together reflect what God is like. Co-regents, co-equals, over creation who submit to one another because God loves them, because He is love. We talked about the fall, or what we call the fall, as being the cost of freedom, that God gives agency and and decision-making ability to His humans. And that what we know of as the curse is God cursing the ground and the serpent, but the the things that humans suffer because they misuse their freedom are more like natural consequences rather than punitive punishments. God doesn't zap the world with a curse. He names the results of our choices. Just like I warned my kids, if you do that, something is going to happen. God does the same thing with us. We talked about sin. And the fact that sin is a falling short of our purpose as image bearers. It is not a falling short of moral perfection. And that the reason that we sin is not because we're horrible, evil, depraved creatures, but because we can't conceive of a way to have our needs and our desires met apart from seeking and grasping for them ourselves. This is how we've been trained to see ourselves, other people in the world. We cannot trust God and we cannot trust other people. And that this condition that we have inherited, that we all suffer from, is not just something that God is interested in forgiving. He actually wants to heal us of this condition. He wants to teach us and train us anew how to have agency over this condition through uh, participating in our own lives. He does this through His Son and the Spirit. That sin is a poison that taints and affects everything that we do and say and think. But that God is in the business of healing that poison, taking it out of our system, and in fact, the system of the entire world. We talked about the fact that one of the ways that we can look and talk about the Bible uh, and sin's effects is that humans, out of a mistrust of God, end up misusing and abusing their power and their agency. The one way of viewing the Bible itself is a story of God opposing the proud, but giving grace to the humble. In other words, He is not blind to imbalances of power. 
He joins the side of the weak as evidence of His uh, commitment to rid us of this poison of sin. And, and another evidence of His attentiveness to power abuse is that He gives deliverance to those that are on the receiving end of this power. We looked at Noah's ark as being one evidence of that deliverance. And he demonstrates that he himself is not a god of abusive power. In fact, he lays down or lays up, what's the better term, his power in a rainbow in the sky. He has put away his war bow forever. He doesn't operate according to human ethics and human understanding. He empties himself of power for the sake of his love and he chooses now to work in and through his human ones and those who will say yes to His power and presence. Last, I'm doing great on time. Whew. Last, we talked about the fact that God is not opposed to diversity. He does not hate cultures or languages. In fact, He loves them. What God is opposed to is the human propensity to organize around our differences and use those differences as a means to oppress and marginalize. And that God's church, His people, are to hold diversity and unity together as we practice loving those who are unlike us. The stranger and the foreigner among us. This is philoxenia, or hospitality. And as Tim Mackey from the Bible Project likes to say, and that is what the first 11 chapters of Genesis are all about. That's what we've done for the last 13 weeks. It's a, I did that in six minutes. Man! Alright. Now it's time for reflection. As you hear this again, as you look over the summary of the series, as you think about things that have been uh, challenging, significant, um, eye-opening, the floor is yours. Let's have a conversation. <clears throat> what learnings about yourself, about God, about the Bible do you want to hold on to from this season? What's opened up for you? What are you wondering about these days in light of all this? Uh, I think there are two things that have been kind of um, revolutionary to me. The first one is that I've held to a lot of, um, and Jay and I have talked about this a bit, um, beliefs that are probably based on biblical um, information and really uh, conform to culture. So one example would be the relationship between my wife and I and what it, what it looks like. It, it looks like this uh, the relationship where we're doing something together, but you know, I'm the tiebreaker or I'm the one that's totally responsible. And what I realized is that while I say I believe that, what I was really doing is... is uh, egalitarian is is equal. Uh, there isn't. I asked my wife. I'm like, is there, is there ever an instance where like I was the authoritarian and just said, no, we're doing what I say? And she's like, one time, and you made a mistake. And I'm like, I remember that, <laughs> and it was a mistake. There's no doubt about it. And I racked my brain. I couldn't think of it. And I'm like, no, I'm actually. We, we're already living this way, and I'm just thinking a different way. I think um, the other. Uh, the other thing is the idea, and it's, and it's a little bit similar too because it's the idea of um, 
God standing next to us and being a, um, almost going through life with us, um, more of the perspective and the example I've, I've used in the past, and ironically I've used the past, but I didn't, I don't think I really understood it, is the, the WWJD thing. Because, you know, the question of like, what would Jesus do? Well, I'm not really asking about that. I'm asking those things about like what I would do. But I wasn't really asking them of like, okay, well, if he was standing next to me, what would he be doing? And what's that, that parallel between what Jesus would be doing here if he was standing next to me and what God has already done and has done? And why, why am I thinking of those things as being really different? Because I think a lot of the perspective that we've looked at is stripped away that Presbyterian culture, which is clearly something I struggle with, and uh, looking at it the way it was probably closer to the way that it was really written, which was more of a God is standing next to Adam and Eve and doing it with them, right? He's, he's, he's upset, not uh, at them necessarily, but uh, more, um, you know, a fatherly disappointment and love. Um, yeah, so those are, those are the two things I think that resound with me from this. Yeah, so I hear like, on the one hand, a permission to live into what your experience has already told you is true. Yes. When it comes to your marriage, right, is that I, I had one narrative and I have one experience and I didn't see how those two things were actually at odds with each other. Correct. And now I feel this this permission, this, this ability to say yes to what I've already, you know, said is true relationally, but now can right, be which, true in how I believe it. Yeah, and, and I, it's a little bit ironic, but it kind of reinforces the idea that God works through us, through our conscience, and like the things that I know to be right aren't because I've thought about them intellectually necessarily, mm. but because he's guiding me. So that realization is, hey, I'm kind of doing it all right already, I just didn't know I was doing it right. Yeah, I, I I thought I was doing something different. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So and then the result of that is actually being able to submit to each other out of love. Yes, and, and seek compromise, which is what love does, right? Yes. yes, and not constantly feel like there's something else that I should be doing that I'm not doing, because I have this conflict between my my experiential love and what the Bible tells me is love. I like what you said too about the. Um, um, God walking in, like in and among us, rather than over us. You know, this is the experience of our life with Him that uh, He does come alongside of us, um, working it, through our decisions and our choices. Right? It kind of uh, makes me wonder when whoever came up with that bracelet idea, if they were thinking like, "Do what Jesus would do," or if they were thinking. No, just watch. Like, what would he? What would he be doing right now? Like, how would he be reacting to it? And and how would he be loving you today? Yeah. Which makes it a lot easier to love other people, especially like your enemies. It's like, what, you know, uh, what would would um, people do to their enemies? I have a business situation this week where I have an opportunity to take a client from somebody that I've worked for for years, and I don't have a non-compete agreement with them. And my staff is like, we don't like working with them. We would rather work with their client. And at the end of the day, I called him on the phone and said, I could totally take this client from you, and, and that would be the business right thing to do. And I said, I just can't do that. Like, it's just not the person I am. We've been operating on a handshake for years, and that is, that's more important than, so I think, like, that's a, a, just an application, but yeah, I think a good one for me. Yeah, for sure. Thank you for sharing that.
I think the, the one thing that really sticks in my mind from the messages is a, uh, the second one where you had discussed about um, the waters above or ferment above to the waters below. And when you dealt with the Hebrew understanding of that, and you showed that um, uh, arch or umbrella-like that in their minds of what they would have conceived it to be. And I found that very fascinating. It's still in there. I can picture it. So it, it, to me, that was very informative and, and uh, helpful to understand another nationality. Yeah, I'll say a bit about that as well, Twyla. Like, how God works in, in and through our understandings. Yes. You know, He meets us where we really are. And doesn't, um, he, he, he doesn't even expect those that are writing down His Scripture of what is going to be recorded for all time and people to have a perfect image of how He's constructed the universe. That's amazing to me. <laughs> like, it's just, it's incredible that God would do that. I think what was most eye-opening to me, Jay, was I'd always seen Genesis as cause and events, as just a linear, okay, here we are, people did, God did, people did, God did. But this opened my eyes to more like, you know, all the possibilities that God had. If He had just wanted a, a wonderful play set, then He could have put four cherubim around the the tree of knowledge, and there would have been no fall. But he allowed it to allow humanity to grow and all the different things, you know, like, like when you talked about Noah and the, and the ark and, and what happened. This wasn't God necessarily reacting to our depravity, more in that it was the consequence to God's love when we had fallen so far. You know, just, just to see that it wasn't just a bowling ball rolling down a hill. And that this was God making decisions based upon what He wanted to shape this world into and where His love was. Yeah. And that was eye-opening. Yeah. Yeah, we, I think we sometimes talk about God's love as one among many of His attributes. You know, and I, I mentioned this at one point of like kind of holding God's anger and his love. You know, we, Christians have tried to like hold these two things together for a long time and figure out how they operate. Um, and so we end up, I think because we give them equal playing field, we end up reading into the story an emotional response to things that it actually isn't there. We see anger when in fact we should be seeing God's love. It says more about us than it does about God. Absolutely, it does. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we, you know, we could talk about hell as being that same sort of thing. You know, we didn't get to hell in this series. Like that'll, that'll have to be one for a later time when we talk, you know, we talked about origins. Maybe we'll talk about endings uh, later on. But I think one faithful way that Christians can talk about hell as being um, the experience of those who, re of, 
the experience of God's love for those who don't want it. God never chooses, like never, He never forces His love upon us. We've had agency from the beginning. And if we reject His love long enough, hard enough, His attempts at loving us can feel like, like judgment and damnation. But again, if you read John 3, um, and how Jesus talks about the Gospel with uh, Nicodemus, he says that it's, it's we who condemn ourselves out of rejecting that love. It turns into something else experientially for us. But it never changes in the heart of God. We could talk about that for a long time. <laughs> kind of related to what you were just saying, like, like death as mercy. Like, mm-hmm. rather than just letting us live in a sinful world that's only going to get more sinful, like, he actually allows us to leave it until he can fix it. Mm-hmm. Um, and just all, kind of like what you were saying, is all these little things that we read as curses, as read as anger, actually just being like pure, unadulterated love that we just don't really understand most of the time. Mm-hmm. So I was just blown away by that and still think about that. Yeah. Yeah, that, <clears throat> that was from the conversation about the curse, right? And, and talking about um, death as, a, as a, put, placing a cap and a limitation on what human evil is capable of doing. What else? Yeah. It's a great. Um, I've just been grateful that we've been able to have these conversations on a Sunday morning and on Wednesday evenings. Um, I think one of the things that's stuck out to me is a few people have mentioned this already, but just kind of the reorientation of who God is and um, how those stories in early Genesis played out and um, God's love being more of the ultimate, like you said, characteristic or uh, trait um, than some of the other things um, that I think I've struggled with. So I just want to thank, you know, Jay and everybody for being willing to have those conversations because I know sometimes they're not easy to have. Um, and I had something else in there. I just forgot what it was. Oh, the other thing I was uh, going to say was being giving space to think through how maybe the way we interpreted it or the way we always thought about it could be different. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. Um, and things that I kind of grew up as feeling like you had to be certain of, don't necessarily feel that way anymore. And as someone who struggled with that for a long time, it's been really freeing to just be able to say, we don't really know. Maybe somehow some of these things really played out or you know, what the exact situation was. But being able to look at God being a God of love as the ultimate um, you know, thing has mm-hmm. been um, something that's been able to help me keep my faith. So, that's great. Thank you for sharing that. Good morning. I think the story that stuck in my mind the most was about the rainbow when God became an example of how humans can get what they need not using sinful means. So, laying down your power basically to get the needs of life, you know? And I thought that really shed some light on who I think I am 
as a human, like how I perceive the world around me, how I think about what I want and how I'm going to get it, mm -hmm. um, and how I can reshape how I perceive those things to fit more into God's perspective of the world and how we should treat each other. And so I think for me, that was like the big eye opener. So every time I see a rainbow, I think about God's sacrifice and how he's working through me to try to change my perspective about how I acquire those things that I need, but also how I can help other people change their perspective about how they acquire what they need. Mm -hmm. So that was just really eye opening for me. Yeah. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. I thought of the um, Jesus's trial in the wilderness when you were talking, um, because we so we see this divulging the, of power in how God hangs up His war bow, right? Um, not grasping for control, but laying it down and empowering Noah, <clears throat> and through Noah, the rest of creation. Uh, to continue the, the work that he began. But then he comes into uh, his own creation as a human, right? And then goes to the wilderness where he's tempted to, just like Adam and Eve were, gain all of his needs through his own power, his own ability. That's the temptation. You know, provide bread for yourself. Uh, you know, throw yourself down from the tower and, and you'll be okay. Uh, have all the nations of the world that I can, I can give it over to you, Satan says to him, you know? But he says no to each one of those things. Not that he doesn't deserve them, and not that as a human God hasn't created him to have them, but because he uh, came to, in many ways, experience all of our needs and desires, but attain them in the way that God had always planned for us to have them. You know? Not by grasping them ourselves, but by laying down His power. And ultimately, Ephesians 2 said, because He did that perfectly where we can't, He was lifted up and given a name that's above every name. That's why we worship Him. In part, you know. Others? And I think uh, what I what I got most out of it was more of a <clears throat> the way that uh, you approached the interpretation of uh, of the chapters rather than the content, if you like. Hmm. That um, when we try to interpret what is written in the Bible as though it were written in the modern er era, right? As though it was written with our cultural background and our way of looking at things. And um, that that's wrong. <laughs> that that's actually naive, and it's arrogant, and it's lazy. Hmm. Um, Those are fighting words, Pete. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that's maybe stronger than I would put it, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I think, you know, we've, many of us have been brought up in strong traditions where it says it so that's it and there is no questioning we've had a bit of questioning which was good mm. but we have to be careful to be humble and not arrogant mm. and to recognize that it may not all be about us um and uh you know there's a there's a place there yeah. so 
very much believe that um, the Bible is God-breathed and that the Spirit um, takes the words and um, interprets them to us in ways that are directly speaking to our souls and our situations. Mm. I believe that, know that, and have experienced that, right? But that's not an excuse to say that I can just take the words without understanding the context. Mm. Um, That's just lazy. Mm. (laughs) We, we, We need to do better than that. So yeah, that, I think that was the main thing for me. It's just the approach and, and uh, trying to look at it um, in a more wholesome manner than uh, perhaps we've done in the past. Yeah. Yeah, I like how you hold those two things in tension because, and that, that is a tension for me, yeah. kind of coming out of this is on, on the one hand, believing as you do that God uh, does speak through his word. Like that God is present and at work in us and with us, and He uses His Word to reveal Himself and to work in our lives. Absolutely, and we shouldn't shy away from that. But we we this is a tension, right, between that reality which we hold to be true, and the reality which says um, there may be, you know, I may I may see one level, one layer of truth in what I'm reading. But I should realize that there might be 25 layers that I don't see. Right? Yeah. And the way I was taught how to read the Bible was that I can, I can kind of go off to my own little corner with my Bible. Being a new believer for you know, all of three weeks and understand everything that the Bible has to teach me in, in a sitting of, in my own like, bubble without any like, help from the outside. I can have a quiet time and just know what the Bible says. And I think like, there is an aspect of that that's true, um, but there are a lot of... Uh, it's, it's, this is why we need the community of God. Bible reading, reflection, hearing God's voice, this is why we're talking today, is a communal, is a communal responsibility. It's a communal participation. We need both, the individual and the communal, but we de-emphasize the communal many times and, and, and just hold up the individual. And that can lead to danger, right? It can lead to, or at least, um, maybe a lack of humility, as you say, or missing out on something that we could see with, with the help of others. I think we're very prone to look at things as though you know, the way we see them is the right way. Mm. That we, we've maybe been brought up with dogma. And, and humility is the best way I can put it, I think. Yeah. Um, that it may not be all about us. I even think that, you may disagree with this, I even think that the Spirit can take words that in a manner which is kind of out of context and use them in our souls and in our situations. Mm-hmm. And he's allowed and able to do that. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't excuse us from, you know, systematically, from, from, doesn't allow us to systematically interpret the scripture as though it were written in the last 50 years. Yeah. That's just, again, yeah. lazy. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. So God allows for it, yes. but maybe it's not his final answer. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds like he accommodates himself to where we are. Naive, lazy, and arrogant. That's good, Pete. I always thought Brits were supposed to be genteel, but you've dispelled me of that notion. <laughs> All right, we've got time for maybe one, one, two more. I've brought this up before, but it's really struck me just the how it's it's been so like foundational to understand that you have it written here like mankind's goodness is the primal thing about him. And then sin is a sickness, sin is something that was introduced to us, but it's not like the definition of who I am. Yeah. And that's been very freeing. Um, yeah, just to know, like, because I have always thought of myself just as being like bad and corrupted and like, but when my foundation is that I'm a good person, that I was made to be good, it just like lifts the weight of sin that much more. Yeah. And the song we sang this morning, um, it has the line that he throws our sins into a sea without bottom or shore. Like they can't wash back up. Mm -hmm. they, they're not going to land somewhere. They're just going to keep falling away. Mm -hmm. That's really cool. Amen. Well, one of the significant things for me is that we talked throughout this series about how the Bible is a story, but the Bible has a story, right? It's been one of the big um, aspects of how we've approached the, the, these chapters uh, in Genesis, that it was written in a context that had assumptions about the world, and those assumptions were Israel's assumptions. They were Israel's story. Um, but one of the things that kind of became eye-opening to me as, as I studied and we went through the series is that not only does the Bible have a story, but our belief system about God and the Bible has a story too. Like, so even how we approach the Bible and, how, and what we see in the text, as Matthew said before, it says more about us than it says about the Bible. It's, it's, it's meant to read us just as much as we read it that our belief systems, they, they come from somewhere. And that somewhere is not always the Bible itself. It, that somewhere could be our family of origin. It could be our culture. It could be our experience. And those things aren't necessarily good or bad. They're just there. And um, it was true for Israel, as we've seen, but it's also true for us. That there's no such thing as, a, as taking ourselves out of uh, our, our, our lenses, our frameworks, our culture, our understandings, and sort of reading the Bible through a pure, ahistorical, acultural lens. We have assumptions and, and frameworks and, and lenses that we bring to the text. And, and so what that means is that part of reading the Bible well is to be awake and curious about those assumptions and biases. It's to know that they're there and ask God to reveal them to us as we look at it together. Where does this come from, if not from your word? And is this something that's giving me helpful information, or is this something that I should uh, challenge? What's critical, and I think this goes back to maybe what uh, Kate said, is that, or at least it's, it's similar to that idea, is that we, 
we as people, our identity is not in our frames or our lenses or our biases or our perspectives. We have them, but they are not us. Which means we can critique them without feeling like we're somehow being like bad Christians or bad people. Um, even if our framework is something that we inherited from the time that we were very little and, and, and was given to us because people that influenced our lives were good and wanted the best for us and, and were, faith, were being faithful with uh, what they understood about God in the Bible. You don't have to trash any of that in order to like, look at your framework because um, God works in and through our frames because He loves us. And here, this is where it hits home for me. What I discovered through this series is that for the majority of the time that I've been a follower of Jesus, I was unable to see much of what we've talked about through this series. That this series for me has been a reflection of, of a lot of recent learnings, or at least learnings that I started to uh, have in seminary, but kind of never uh, picked up again or went carried on again like as a pastor. In other words, the, the series has helped me see ways that I too have misunderstood God. Assumptions that I had about Him that were based in things other than the Bible and God's presence. And that's not to say that after 13 weeks I've arrived. <laughs> God, no. Um, in fact, it's actually the opposite. Like, having realized that there are so many ways that I've misunderstood the first 11 chapters of Genesis, I realize how much I, under, I, I continue to misunderstand about God. And that I will continue to misunderstand about God as I go forward. I'm going to miscategorize Him and misunderstand Him and misinterpret Him. I love the fact that we're talking about this on Palm Sunday. Because one of the things that Palm Sunday is, is one giant evidence that God allows people, that, that God continues to love people, even those who misunderstand Him. Because think of it, like everybody in Jerusalem comes out with their palm branches and they lay them all down on the streets of Jerusalem so that the Messiah who's come through the, the gate on the donkey can pass by as evidence that He is the new King of Israel. And they've got assumptions and lenses and frameworks for what Jesus is about to do. Right? They assume that they know what the story is going to look like that week. That Jesus who rides in on a donkey is going to ride Himself into David's um, abode and into the temple and take the nation by force and kick the Romans out and reestablish Israel's independence so that they can go back to the business of worshiping God. And every single one of those assumptions is utterly false. And Jesus still rides in on a donkey. To me, that's the good news. Is like God is patient and present to all of our misunderstandings and misrepresentations of what He's like. Still, even to this day, He is patient and present in His love for me and for you. And that's one of my big takeaways is realizing that I have lenses 
and that those lenses are shaped by other things other than God, but that God understands this and allows for it because he loves me. That's, a big, that's one of the big takeaways for me. Here's the second one. If this is true for me, it's true for every single person that I come in contact with. Believer and unbeliever alike, we're all under false assumption. Some of us have had that, those assumptions um, corrected and, and God is at work on them because we've come to see that God is just like Jesus. And so Jesus is helping rehabilitate our understandings of God and rebuild our sense of trust of Him and each other. But that is a, that is a road. That is a path towards Jesus not a fence where you get to decide whether you're in or out. God is constantly pulling people back to to Himself through His Son. And that is a long, long journey for every single one of us. And And it enables me to look at other people that are not as far along that journey with some, with just a modicum of the compassion that He has for them. So it changes things. For me, as well as how I see uh, other people. And um, I think the third thing is realizing like growing in this understanding of grace and truth, it takes time and it takes training. We've actually got to like rally around it a little bit and give, give uh, time to, um, to do this with each other, to practice with one another. Because it doesn't come naturally. Like We're used to a world where we all have assumptions about God and ourselves and each other and just allowing those assumptions to continue unchecked. And we're never compassionately curious about any of them. So it, it, it takes environments where we allow ourselves the time and the space to do some of that work. So um, that's a little of what uh, we're going to allow for like in this next season of our church. So we're going we're gonna to do some things on Sunday morning that test some of those assumptions maybe. And we're also going to, just as we've had space on Wednesday nights to, um, to dig deeper, we're going to continue something like that and start to rally around these things. Start to see it, how, how love could actually be the center of our existence and the way that we view um, other people. Yeah, so I think, it's gonna, I think it'll have an impact. I don't know all of what that impact is, but I'm excited to explore it with you all. That makes sense. All right, we are out of time. So, let me pray. We'll get our communion elements, and then David will come and lead us in um, remembering Jesus' sacrifice for us. Yeah! Father, we thank You for uh, Your patience, Your grace, Your commitment to, um, to leading us into the truth of what You're like and having that truth um, penetrate and push back the darkness that has uh, dominated us for so, so long. Father, we thank You that uh, sin is not uh, fundamentally who we are, but it affects everything that we do think and say and that you are radically committed to extracting that poison and sickness out of all of us. 
Um, God, enable us to have hope because the future says that you will have your way one, once and for all. But in the meantime, Lord, um, make us into the kinds of people who readily say yes whenever you want to do surgery on the parts of us that are sick. Thank you for our origin story. Help us to be people that live in it, from it, and to invite others to, um, to the same sort of life, the same sort of freedom, the same sort of love. In Jesus' name, amen.